welcome to this episode of Stories of Strange Women. Uh, we're your hosts, I'm Tanya Hurley. And I'm Tracy Hurley-Martin. And today we have the honor of welcoming Dr. Lindsay Fitzharris, who is the author of the new book, uh, The Butchering Art, Joseph Lister's Quest to Transform the Grisly World of Victorian Medicine. She is, uh, she received her doctorate degree in the history of science, medicine, and technology at the University of Oxford. And this book is as gruesome and entertaining as it is informative. I mean, it's a must-read, I think. And it's a page-turner for, it is a, really. you know, based on a historical figure. You're learning and you're also entertain, equally entertained. Mm-hmm. And she does, um, she does refer to herself as a storyteller, first and foremost, yeah. even before medical historian, so... And she's also the creator of the popular website, The Chirurgeon's Apprentice, um, so check that out. And her YouTube series, Under the Knife, I mean, it covers such topics as the reusable condom, the dissected criminal, the dead house. I mean, that's, that's a must. Yeah, please check that out. Yeah, check out the web series. And you can, you can follow her on Twitter at Dr. Lindsay Fitz. Um, and Instagram, again, you've got to see her Instagram. It's uh, Dr. Lindsay Fitzharris. And without further ado, Dr. Lindsay Fitzharris. The book itself is yeah. written like yeah. a riveting drama. It's a story. I mean, it's a. It's. I didn't think I'd be locked in, yeah. and I, I, I'm on chapter twelve now. Oh, nice! And I far along got it yesterday. Oh my gosh! Before yesterday. Wow! Yeah. And I was no, like, I want to. I want to know reading. what happens next. Yeah. Thank you. It's yeah. a, It's like it's a drama. I mean, it doesn't read like a just a biography. Uh, that that's such a compliment. I I have to say that I work with so many um or a lot of my friends work in movies and stuff, and so I've learned how to think visually I think that's you're, really you're a medical initial. historian I know what a random so, it's a real job so you would think that <laughs> it would be written in a totally different in a, way inaccessible y- yeah I, I always say that I'm a storyteller first and um mm-hmm. a historian second well you can definitely definitely see that I mean pick up this academia probably I'm sure Oxford University is going to take back their PhD soon they'll be like <laughs> enough like this is you know I'm getting up horrifying audiences about this period but for me, I did all my degrees at once. I did um, I did my undergraduate, my master's, my PhD, my postdoc, like all at once mm-hmm. without a break. And I just got burnt out. Um, and so I started The Surgeon's Apprentice, my blog, to fall back in love with history and mm-hmm. to tell the stories that, you know, when you're little and um, all the things that make you excited about the past, that's what mm-hmm. I wanted to tell. I wanted to connect with people about those kinds of stories. And of course, none of that makes it into academic work. Yeah. Um, far too entertaining. Um, right. <laughs> we can't have any fun. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I, I've been lucky with the butchering art so far. Um, there's been academics who have, have really enjoyed it and see value in it, but I'm always kind of looking over my shoulder thinking, you know, it's, it's very different than an academic book. That's, have that's for there, sure. Have there, has there been a lot of criticism or some criticism? And the no, there was one the guy, um, it was on a really small blog and he said that the, the they always are. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it was a really small blog. <laughs> and two I know. Yeah. And he was yeah, out there that's about the one the you think art. about every day. Yeah, I know. Of course. Yeah, like, like I shouldn't I, be reading. I this shouldn't stuff. be writing a book. I mean. And you know, what's funny is the only reason I, I knew about it was because <laughs> I was subscribed to this blog and I was like, how dare they? Um, but yeah, he said something, it was such a great quote. It was like, it's like my book's downfall is its accessibility and slickness. And I was like, wait, so the book is so readable 
bad. Yeah, right. How dare I make this yeah. readable book about Lister? And mm-hmm. um, but what I I, I hope that it's it, riveting. Yeah, I wasn't. It's a page turner. When when we were you know when we were expecting to talk to you, I was intimidated because I. Oh my gosh. Like, I'm not going to be able to you know this. And then this clown showed book. up, and you were like, oh, this is going to be easy. It's, it's good. I mean, I, I learned so much from your book, and, oh, and thank you. Know, you. And, mm-hmm. and I think a, a lot of people are going to love it. Yeah. I mean, they do already mm. love it. It's so, so you have a big following. You know, I, yeah, I suppose. But apparently. you know what? Like the today in today's world, like the butcher could have like a million followers on Instagram. Yeah. So who knows, right? Mm, not no. really. <laughs> not my butcher. <laughs> So, so you grew up in, in in Mount Prospect in Chicago, right outside of Chicago. Okay, and and you had your parents. I mean, what was your what was your home like? This is like, this is the, the moment where the Kleenex comes out. Yes. I sit on the couch and uh-huh. we tell. No, um, my my parents. Do you want to play the dozens? With, like, <laughs> yeah. Stories growing up. <laughs> no, I was really um, I was lucky. My my parents divorced when I was quite young, and um, I ended up living with my grandmother. Um, and my, my mom was there too, but my grandma's just, she's still alive. She's still driving her Audi Quattro, like around Chicago, <laughs> getting her hair done. Um, but once she, a week. yeah, once yeah. a week, it's, it's all good. Um, yeah. but she was a cemetery goer and, um, not because she felt it was creepy just because that's what you did. Mm-hmm. You know, you were memorializing the family and we go to these old cemeteries and it just really ignited my imagination. Who were these people? I, I think a lot of times people think it's morbid, but mm-hmm. think about all of these Think about what it takes to spend the money to commemorate your loved ones. These are places of memory, and and it's a shame that they are kind of seen as as um, creepy places. So we would go to all these cemeteries, and um, I would become interested. For instance, Al Capone. I was really interested in Al Capone at one point, so she took me to his grave, and I learned all this stuff. And I actually just did um, an episode on Under the Knife about him, and they people bring um, whiskey and stuff and leave it on his grave. So. It was super cold in Chicago when I went there. Grandma was in her dinner. I, I, I left like a bottle of gin. I didn't. I took it back with me. I, just in the shot, I put it down in the in there. But I wasn't gonna leave a bottle of gin. Instagram. It's crazy, yeah. Like that's not gonna happen. What? Yeah. But it was so cold, and um, my grandma was in her in her car, and um. My boyfriend, who's now, who I, I married recently, he was like filming, and he's British, and he doesn't understand Chicago cold. He had like no gloves oh, on. You can't prepare. It was awful. Yeah. I know. And he was like, his fingers were like icicles at oh, the end. Yeah. But we got the shot, and that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Al Capone's grave. In fact, the Capone family really unsurprisingly don't like people going there and leaving whiskey bottles and stuff. And they at one point they covered it with bushes so people couldn't. Um, go and see it, but now it's it's all out in the open. Um, and he's, I think he's buried very close to some people he had killed as well, which is a really random. Makes it interesting. Yeah, and he thought he was being. I mean, he had syphilis at the end, so that's how it got onto my YouTube because my YouTube is all about medical I love the history. Syphilis episode. Yeah, like there's the so no much no-nos. the no nos. Yeah, and the, and syphilis was so rife in the 19th century, and in, in, in the tertiary stages, your nose falls off, and these no nose clubs popped up all over London, and people. <laughs> You talk about in your book. Yeah, I did so not know funny. that. Yeah. It's like I love the guy who started that. Like, what a sense of humor. Um, yeah, we were thinking. We just were talking before you came about trying the syphilis clubs. Yeah, 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 the syphilis restarting clubs. it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> restarting it. <laughs> yeah. But like, instead of like drinks, you're giving um, a course of antibiotics, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which now here is a built-in audience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, people, whenever I put up stuff about syphilis, people always inevitably say, oh, I never knew it was so bad. It's like, yes, you yeah. died from it. Like, yeah. you know, this is, this is the privilege Horribly. of the 21st century that we just yeah. don't die from these things anymore. And, um, you know, like smallpox is gone and there's just so many things. Um, those were the days. Those were the days. I know <laughs> it wasn't fun. It wasn't people yeah. say, oh, it would have been so fun to live in, the- yeah, no. in what universe no. would that have been yeah. fun? Those people need to read your book. They need to read yes. my book. Just yeah. hand them the book yeah. and say, and say read this come and back then, to me. Yeah. 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 They can if wear still in. dresses and not have yeah. laced Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Parasols. That's yeah. fun. Yeah, even the wallpaper was laced with arsenic. It was it was not a good time. Yeah. It wasn't good. I love I mean I love reading. There did you did you ever hear of the book Fashion Victims? About I the, have heard of it. I haven't read it though yet. You, you need, which yeah, is you about need to get it. yeah the whole um, arsenic and in, in fashion <sighs> and so beauty. How beauty kills. There's another one out um, by a historian called Carolyn Day, and I don't remember the name of it, but it's about um, consumption and tuberculosis and how that also informed fashion, like this kind mm-hmm. of um, the skinny kind of bodies and stuff. So I it's sitting on my in my wow, bedroom. I need to read that. So that's another yeah. weird one out there for you. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'll, so I'll many good ones out there. Up. Yeah. Um, so, so you're with your grandmother, you're raised with your grandmother yeah. and you, and your grandmother loved to go to cemeteries? She loved, she was a, she was a cemetery goer, but she also, her house is like verging on hoarding, you know? Yeah. Um, and she had, she just has stuff in this house. It's like, you know, you know, very old. And so I got to touch history. I think that's really important if mm-hmm. you have the opportunity to just touch it and be there. Um, live in it. Live right. in it. Yeah. I mean. When I went to, um, I'm going to go down a really dark path now. I went to visit Auschwitz at one point. um, And not so sweet. Not so sweet. I know. Sorry. I know. You're like, maybe edit that one. Uh, Here, I'll start again. So um, I went to Auschwitz at one point, and um, there's nothing to compare, you know, you can read about it, but standing there mm-hmm. is just a whole other thing. And I just don't your body, to, right? Yeah. And I try to encourage people. I mean, some people say, Oh, I could never do it. It's too sad. Well, it's not Disney world, you know, right. it has a totally Face different it. purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so, I mean, there's this, this thing that's popped up now called dark tourism where people go and visit these dark places. But I think a lot of it is, um, related to, and you, you guys got to speak to Caitlin Doty. And I know that Mm -hmm. she talks a lot about this is that we just aren't exposed to it anymore. So we Mm -hmm. do have this fascination, but it's not just a morbid curiosity. I think it's it's our history. It's our, yeah, exactly. It's part of our history. People died. People people were killed. This is what happened. You can't just pick and choose what you want to, yeah, absolutely. Learn about. And I'm, I'm fascinated with the dark stuff and yeah. I feel like it's, you know. Ooh, look at this house. You have so many amazing. <laughs> I know you guys can't look that are listening in, but there is just so many amazing things in here. I just wish I had time to poke around a bit. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's important. And so I think touching objects, um, you know, museums are obviously really important. Like, mm-hmm. I love people with private collections like you guys have. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to understand how people contextualize the objects that they own as well. Um you know, when you think about, for instance, anatomical museums, there's um, there's one in London, and mostly it's presented through a scientific narrative. So now mm-hmm. we look at it as a science collection. But of course, a lot of people in the past, in the 18th century, were just it was just a, a cabinet of curiosity. Yeah. And I think we need to own that as yeah. well, even though there's a dark history to body snatching. Oh, right. The yeah. Dark oh, yeah. There. Yeah. I mean, um, wait. So, so let, before we get into that, so you, how did you get from 
your little suburb to, <laughs> to, Oxford. <laughs> to Oxford. Yeah. I, I went to a small university called Illinois Wesleyan and I had this professor who was a historian of science and, um, he encouraged me to go onwards to Oxford. They had a great program. Um, and, and again, Oxford was great cause it was like, you study history, but you're touching history. You're mm-hmm, living in history. They are constantly reminding you that there are greater people who came before you. Yeah. <laughs> you will never be those people. You know, it's been, it's done. A, it, yeah, it's been, yeah. it's, there's a lot of shaming. Um, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of shame. guilt and shame nice. at Oxford. Um, but, and, and in fact, they even publish your, um, your exam scores like on an exam school right there and everybody can see how well you did. <laughs> That's so out. different. Out, yeah. yeah. It was, but I loved it. I think they found me strange because I always kind of treated it like a, this can't be real. Like you have to wear robes and stuff. And I, I, like, even to my exams, I brought a camera. I'm like, let's take photos, you know? And like this really stressful moment. I'm like, I'm wearing this silly robe. Let's do that. Um, so I think they, they were, they tried to break me, but it just wasn't going to happen. Like I just, I loved, I loved everything so much about Oxford. Even when I go back, it's like this rush of, of memory. Cause it's so, you know, Oxford doesn't really change ever. So when you go back, it is like stepping back into the past, into your own childhood too. When, when you go back there, um, but yeah, so it just, it, I always say that it started with interacting with these wonderful objects in my grandma's house to mm-hmm. interacting with them on a more, um, you know, mature level through, through study. And, um, and were then you always drawn to dark, dark things and did I think you have so, friends? Yeah. I mean, were you, you did seem I have like friends? I know. You, like <laughs> you just yeah, threw me on a cheerleader. Did you have friends? Like <laughs> who would be your friend back then? <laughs> We have their names. Yeah, I just did an event in Chicago and all of these people uh from from my past came out and I and I joked that they could certainly attest to the fact that I was a really strange kid. I used to um do these book talks and I would dress up and I was really obsessed with vampires and so like that those pictures <laughs> exist somewhere. Okay. I'm really uh and I was a strange child. Um I was five seven by the age of ten. So I was like, wow. I was like a giant. And imagine what my fifth grade teacher would have thought, like seeing this adult sitting out there. Yeah. And this is why I had such bad posture. Because remember how low right. the desks were? And yeah, I was yeah, like a want, full grown. You don't want to stand, stand out. Yeah, right? I had like slouching. breasts from like the age. Yeah. Oh, it was wow. awful. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. a nightmare. Acne. Uh-huh. Like uh, the headgear. My mom decided like, let's straighten those teeth. Um, there was, And then I joined marching band just to oh, put the cherry on top just, of everything. Just to see if I could survive. Let's just see. Yeah. Like this sounds like a really good idea. Oh so I had, I, and then let's dress up as a vampire and give book talks. And I mean, it's just a miracle that I, nobody just kicked my ass yeah. and just killed me. Um, yeah. So, the, but, but it was fun because so many people in Chicago came out. I hadn't seen them in 17 years, um, since high school and they all remember me as being weird. Um, yeah. But they're all still support. I mean, social media now we can all keep in touch right. with each mm-hmm. other, which is lovely. But yeah, I did have uh, friends, but they were, you know, marching band, and they were just yeah. as weird and nerdy as me. So I wasn't hanging out with the cool kids, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you moved to Oxford. I mean, you went I to did. Oxford. Yes, I went to Oxford. To that's right. And so, what? How did you feel? Did you feel like? I mean, were it there was other people inst- like you? <laughs> it, uh, yeah. I, so Oxford is just outside of London. It's about, I think it's about like an hour, um, uh, but it's a beautiful place if people have an opportunity to go there. I I thought I was going to be an academic historian. That's mm-hmm. where the, the, the route I was taking. Um, and so, of course, there's like a lot of people studying it. But I always delighted in these like random stories that I was learning about history. And as an academic historian, you don't really get an opportunity to kind of follow those threads. Mm-hmm. Um 
So it's great though. My, my old department's very supportive. Um, they're excited about this book as well. Hopefully when they read it, they'll, they'll yeah. also, but as an academic historian, you don't tend to write narratives, which is what this book is. It, mm -hmm. um, because like the real world, it doesn't necessarily unfold like a movie. Um, but you, you have to find that, that kind of way in for, non-specialists they need to have like the context of Lister's life and um mm -hmm. and I always say too with with this story which I know we're going to talk a little bit about but Joseph Lister um at the end of his life said that he wanted all of his personal correspondence destroyed he wanted his story to be told through scientific achievements alone and thankfully that didn't happen and so we have this wealth of letters and people he met and um, I, I always say that, you know, these things, achievement is not done in a vacuum. And he's very much a product of the people he meets who encourage him. I feel like that very much mm -hmm. in my life. And, um, and and so I also joke that he would hate my book <laughs> because I'm like exposing Well, I think it's really um, fascinating how you even, you know, came to know who he was. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. 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 Well, Okay, so this book was was um, born out of desperation. We'll we'll go into that mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, I had started my blog several years ago, and I was I, I do a YouTube series called Under the Knife, and I was interacting with the public, and I loved that. I hadn't written a book at this point, and it was a couple years ago. I was in Chicago visiting my grandma, going mm -hmm. to cemeteries, literally actually going to cemeteries when an email <laughs> comes into my inbox, and it's my now ex-husband, and he tells me the relationship is over. By email. By email. By email, I know. So remember that sex How long in the were you city. Married? Um we were married for five years, but we were together for ten. Wow. So it was, so it was all a, throughout your whole schooling mm -hmm. and before. I met him when I was twenty-two. Did you meet him while you were living here in the No, States he's British, or? so I met okay. him at Oxford. Oh, okay. Um he's a physicist. Um and and then and then he went and worked in the financial world. But um he he sends me this email. Um, I'm in the cemetery with my grandma, like filming some stuff, which I never actually ended up putting in YouTube. I should mm. do that at some point. And it was really surreal. I didn't understand what was happening. Um, so I panicked and I booked a, a, a ticket back to London, That's an earlier word. ticket, yeah, yeah, to see what was going on. And I was in O'Hare Airport and I wrote to, I did have a literary agent, but I hadn't done anything with her for, she thought, she probably thought I was never gonna do anything. So I wrote her and I said, I think my husband's leaving me and I need to write a book. And she was like, Ugh. you know, like that's a gross yeah. story, but yeah. let's write a book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I got back to London, he had disappeared. Um, and no note. And um, at that point, uh, shit got very real for me mm -hmm. um, because I was on a marriage visa. I had lived in the UK for a long time, but I had broken my residency to follow him for um, a job he had in Canada. So I was only on a marriage visa. And they took my passport. I, I like to tell people too, you know, you know what a, a, a lot of people think they know what an illegal immigrant looks like. Well, mm -hmm. surprise, yeah. like it's yeah. blonde, white. I mean, yeah. you can find yourself in these um, situations. So because they took my passport, I couldn't work. Not that I had a job anyway. I was just mm -hmm. doing this kind of freelance writing. Couldn't work. Um, and I was living in an apartment I certainly couldn't afford. I didn't know where he was. I didn't know what was going on. Um, and so all his stuff was gone. He just left. He yeah. He had taken his stuff. He had just gone. disappeared. Um, after that email, you after my email, then he surprised me with divorce papers. A couple mm -hmm. weeks later, that was a happy surprise, and um, it was my great fortune that Caitlin Doty was had just come to the UK. Um, author of um, now from here mm -hmm. to eternity had just come to the UK and she was staying with me. 
um, for her UK tour. And she's so great with grief because she's a mortician mm -hmm. and she would just let me cry and stuff. And she said to me, I was really panicking and I was, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to have to go back to the US. I should apply for this job or that job. And she said, you should write a book. I think it's time. You know, you mm -hmm. need to put the fear aside. Mm -hmm. You'll work whatever this situation is out through mm -hmm. the courts, but you need to write a book. And so I started to write this proposal. But I didn't know who I was going to write the book about. At first, I thought it was going to be Robert Liston, who um, opens opens the butchery and art. He's a real character. He's six two. Um, he's yeah. This is this is your favorite character. This guy. Um, he's such a he's a bigger than life um, character. He's he's operating in a pre anesthetic era. Um, and he was, he was so That's strong. That, let me make sure everyone hears that. That's pre aesthetic <laughs> era. Yeah. So yeah. he was known as the fastest end in the, in the, uh, the fastest knife in the West end. He could take your leg off in under 30 seconds. Um, and he's, he's such a character. One of his patients jumps off a table at one point and runs into a closet as oh, you would. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I, I cannot imagine people trying to escape no, and the doctor I know, having I know. to run after you and tie Wait, and, you down. And, and the kidney stone story. Is that and him? the kid? Yes, that's the kidney stone story. Yes, exactly. So he's I so had a kidney stone. Oh. Wait, why thinking... would why would somebody why would somebody sign up for surgery at all then? If it's so terrifying. <laughs> well, with the kidney stones, they're they're much bigger than what we have today because of the of the way the diet was. So if you couldn't get that unblocked, you would mm -hmm. die. Yeah. Like the urine, you would become septic. So, so they were figuring, I'm going to die anyway. I think so. Of? I mean, they were in, and they were. You've had them, so like so mm -hmm. much pain, right? You have stories like there's one guy who's in so much pain that he takes a nail and hammer and sticks it into his penis, thinking that he could like break up the stone. Mm -hmm. He couldn't. Wow. Um. So and the way that they had to go in there, it was. Is awful so this guy the, just decides with yeah with the, the wood pole they'd shove it down the penis and then they cut through the scrotum it was awful like, if we was didn't have any good. mail uh, yeah, yeah, we're very so sorry. Gone. That one guy who was listening um, out there. Be lucky it's today. Yeah, Everybody. be lucky. Um, but Hashtag but bliss. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he he jumps off the table and he he closes himself up into a closet and then Liston six two charges after him and rips the door off and drags him back and that's dedication to your patient. Um, also illegal today. Yeah, I know. Can you imagine? <laughs> like, I just like this idea of like running yeah. out of the operating theater. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was going to be about him because he's he's such an interesting guy. But he doesn't push any transformative moment. He does perform the first operation under ether in Britain, but he doesn't discover ether. Mm -hmm. um, and what was amazing about the first operation under ether in 1846 that Liston does is that a 17 year old Joseph Lister is in the audience that day, and I I just thought, can you explain a little bit about what a surgery? What, was like the theater and, and the whole spectacle. Yeah, of it. yeah. And yeah. So, so and who, who was a doctor at that time? Yeah. Like, who could be a doctor? Yeah. Can you explain um, a little anybody, bit? Anybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sort of, and actually, right? as, a, as a funny note, in the UK, if you're a surgeon, you revert back to Mr. You go from doctor to Mr. Um, or Ms. I don't know why. I'm still very confused. So when I had an operation, I had an appendectomy and they're like, Mr. Smith is going to, I was like, who is this guy? Like coming off yeah. duty, you know, like, you know, he's, he's working around the corner and he's just going to come in and remove my a craftsman. I know. I was just like, a tradesman. and apparently it's like a, it's a badge of honor, but you have to know that they're a surgeon. And yeah, it's yeah. very confusing. Cause I'm yeah. like, well, what differentiates, you know, Mr. Yeah. From Mr. Right. Yeah, like a regular yeah. Mr. Right. From 
Um, but, uh, the, yeah, so in the, in the past, um, these operating theaters, they were filled to the rafters with hundreds of spectators who carried in the grime and dirt. In the 19th dirt. century, we're talking. In the 19th century, not today, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, who, who carried in the grime and dirt of everyday life. So this was very unsterilized environment. And um, sometimes they were, they were just ticketed spectators. They weren't just medical students, um, just to see the life and death struggle. The Victorians were obsessed with progress and science as well. So they often came to see, like, Thank what's God. the next? Yeah, 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 to see what was the, the new thing um, in the operating theaters. Let's take the kids to see. Yeah, let's just, yeah, like, go for a day. amputation. A lot of times women weren't allowed um, in because it was seen to be sort of inappropriate. They did, like, women's days, which um, <laughs> is funny Have for dissections. Yeah. Yeah, for dissections, they would do it um, like a woman's day, and they'd cover up like the genitals and stuff. Uh-huh. To, um, so it it was it was a weird time. Although you know, with all everything going on in 2017, one must ask themselves yeah. how far we've come. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we have women's days again, and yeah. you know, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, so so these were very. It was very much a spectator sport, and um, Liston himself, the six-two butcher. Um, I call them butchers. They obviously didn't refer to themselves like that, but he, he was a showman as well. Like he would walk into the theater and he would say, time me gentlemen. And you can just hear the ripple of pocket watches that opened. And, um, this kind of really, I'm, I'm really hoping that we get the movie made. And one of those scenes that we're thinking is, you know, those, those pocket watches all opening in that kind of circular shot of this beautiful operating theater. Um, and so, so yeah, he, uh, he, this, this was the, um, he, he comes into the operating theater, it's 1846. Ether has been discovered in America a few months earlier. And the great Robert Liston walks in, he calls it the Yankee Dodge. He thinks it's American quackery, he doesn't think it's gonna work. And um, it does. And what is incredible, I think, about that moment, when I was thinking about writing this book, was most people, if they've ever thought about medical history, which is unlikely, um, but if they have, they think of the moment that we cured pain, essentially, like the age of agony is over. But actually, surgery became a lot more dangerous um, because they didn't understand germs, so they were more willing to pick up the knife. And as a result, these these operations become slow-moving executions. People are dying much at, at higher rates. Of- yeah, I mean, they didn't wash the table. Right? No, they, they didn't, didn't wash they it. Had Why would you wash it? You had to have money for your funeral. Yeah, you had to. You had to pay. Yeah, you had to. When you went into these hospitals, you paid for your inevitable burial. These these. In your book, you say dying of when uh, you say dying of hospitalization. Yeah, hospitalism. hospitalism. That's right. That's yeah, right. that's yeah. this term that pops up. And again, these hospitals were not for the wealthy or the middle class. You would be treated in your own home. Um, there's an incredible story of a woman named Lucy Thurston in the 1840s and her surgeon, she has a mastectomy without any anesthetic, which is mind boggling alone. And the surgeon walks up the stairs and into her bedroom. First of all, he decides that um, she needs to have this done, but he doesn't want to tell her the day because he doesn't want her to fixate on the tape. But that would make me more anxious. Like, is it going to be today? You know oh, what? Right? God. So he just kind of like, surprise, you oh know? And he walks in and he shows her the knife. He opens his hand. He shows her the it's knife. It's like death. Yeah. It's going to happen. And he says, when. prepare your soul for death. Yeah. And, um, and of course, that was seen to be the humane thing to say to, to someone because it was a religious time. So, you know, prepare for this. She survives. And um, she writes about it later, about how the, the surgeon's wrist was covered with blood right. and um and it took an hour and a half to remove her breast which is mind-boggling my my own mother had a double mastectomy five years ago and um while she was she's she's great now while okay. she was having it done 
um, I wrote a blog article about women who had it done without anesthetic. And then when she recovered, I was like, Reed, how lucky you. And she's like, I hate you. Like, why do you harass me? I'm like, but we're so lucky. Um, Cause now today, like mastectomies, unfortunately are quite routine, mm -hmm. um, but they can be done because we understand that germs exist. If you think about it before then you had this open wound on your chest and you were just as likely to die of some kind of infection. Mm -hmm. But yeah, people were, were treated at home. Unless you were poor, you went to these horrible hospitals and um, the bug catcher was paid more than the surgeons. This, this was the guy who rid the bed of lice. So it was, you know, there's a, there's a guy named um, Andrew Cook in the 18th century and he calls himself the bug destroyer. Um, and we need to make like an action movie of the, book <laughs> the bug destroyer. And he claims to have uh, rid 20,000 beds of lice at the point that he makes this um, calling card. So... There, these places were horrible, but then all of that said, you still you needed a ticket to get in, which so it wasn't that easy to get in, and you needed to petition um, a hospital governor to get in. They weren't they had no medical oh. background, yeah. And then um, it, you know, um, it, sometimes they charge for your inevitable burial. Sometimes they they charge if you were extra foul. So when I say the poor, it really means what historians call the deserving poor, people who had some kind of income. If you were absolutely destitute, you didn't have any options, which mm -hmm. may or may not have parallels to today. <laughs> um, right. Hashtag politics, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but this, this was in Britain. Um, so it's just an incredible time when you think about it wasn't that long ago that this is this is what people experienced so Liston does the first operation under ether 1846 it works that in fact the patient wakes up after the leg's been taken off and he asks when the operation is going to begin and they like wave the the leg at him in yeah. this kind of comical way <laughs> oh it's so funny it's so you know like all these horrible things were happening and but what was amazing about that moment when I was reading about it was that 17 year old Joseph Lister was in the audience and it's really Lister who then takes germ theory, applies it to medical practice. It's really him. But didn't you happen upon his grave? We were talking about your yes, husband. Yes, yes, yes. So you discovered well, Lister? To, well, I had decided to write about Lister at that point. Mm -hmm. um, I, I couldn't believe nobody had. I'm yeah. still kind of waiting for someone like to come around and go, oh, did you know? Like this yeah. book came out two years ago. Um, <laughs> isn't that it's always... It's Pixar film. Yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> it's, isn't that always the fear as creative people that mm -hmm. you're just like a hack and like someone's done yeah. it before and you're out there, you look like a dick. Um, <laughs> so I'm still waiting for someone. Maybe this podcast will be yeah. the moment where someone's like, by there, the way, yeah. yeah, you know that this book exists already. Please contact me um, so I can hide in shame. But I, I knew it was going to be Lister. Um, and then as I moved through the divorce process and as I was facing deportation, I had to move elsewhere because I couldn't afford to um, live in the apartment I was living in. And I happened to move close to Joseph Lister's grave. I didn't know that it wasn't by design. And I would go to his grave and I would sit there and I would write and reflect um, on what was happening in my own life. And he has a mental breakdown at one point mm -hmm. and leaves medical school and he comes back. His, his family and friends encourage him. And my life, so much that, like, thank God for my friends and my family who just kind of picked up the pieces of this situation. Um, so I... I feel like, you know, we, we were talking earlier about failure. I, I love failure because I think it's so important. I don't think we talk about it enough. Mm -hmm. um, I had failed in pretty epic ways in my life. I had no job. I had no, I was completely reliant on someone else financially, which is embarrassing to say that I was doing that in like 2015, a couple years ago. Um, 
And I really had to reflect. It, it came to a point where I had to ask myself, what do I want to do with my life? And I've always been a storyteller. And I thought, well, I got to try to write this book. Mm -hmm. And it was just my good fortune that I have a wonderful agent and she was able to sell it. Um, and that there's been such a positive reaction. She was able to sell it in a big way. Right? She was. Yeah. yeah. It was, a, it was, it was one of those deals mm -hmm. where I was like, God, I didn't know you could make money as a writer. Yeah. Um, and and then we sold it on. I think there's about 15 countries now where it's coming out. Um, Congratulations! Yeah, it's been it's been great. Who knew this like weird medical tale? But it's such mm -hmm. an important story. It, it is, is. And, I, and I it's love, essential. I yeah. love that you chose him because he well, was a Quaker. Let's, well, let's because people may be confused. Liston is. Liston, yeah. Well, he didn't he didn't discover it. He just does the first operation with with it. ether. Yeah. And then Lister, who we're talking about now, is the person watching that procedure in the audience. Yes, okay. that's correct. Mm -hmm. And so that so the the story opens in like a, hopefully like a cinematic way. Readers will think with this historic operation under ether, and then seventeen year old Joseph Lister's there. And then we I, I go backwards to tell his story. Um, and he's he's so a lot of people ask me like why Lister because this was a problem um, why were well people were working on it but Lister was sort of uh, he was receptive because he his father um, loved the microscope and this was an instrument that was very suspicious um, in 19th century medicine they thought that it would make lazy clinicians you'd stop using your eyes. Um, <laughs> You know, and then the other thing is when you think about looking through a microscope and you think about these patients dying in the 19th century, okay, so you're seeing something, but what is it going to do to change how you treat them? So it was seen as like almost like a frivolous thing. But Lister, his father loves the microscope and is, is always making improvements to lenses. So he brings this microscope with him um, in, in the 1840s to medical school. And so he's so receptive to um, Louis Pasteur's germ theory, ultimately. And I always, I like to say that it's a love story between science and medicine because it's the first time that a scientific principle is applied to medical practice and that you have the merging of these two. Um, so it's, it's always, you know, he's the right man. It's the right time. He also brings humanity to his profession. To the he profession. does. Yeah. He's, he's a Quaker, um, which I think largely informed how he, operated he kind of he ticked off his his colleagues a lot because he never charged his patients he allowed them to decide how much they would pay him mm -hmm. um it's kind of like if he was like machiavellian it'd be like a clever way of like you know you might actually may end up making more um because people it, like oh that's so nice you know i'll i'll tip this guy yeah. higher um, but no, I don't think that was, was going on. And he, um, he just, he, there was a great story. You might have already hit it in there where this little girl comes with her doll, yes. which I, I love. I, I know. Just, yeah. We're just talking about it. And like, again, thinking, thinking about the movie, like this has got to be in there because, um, this little girl brings her doll and she holds it up to him and the doll's leg has come off and he kind of solemnly nods and he goes over and he stitches it back on. And it's just this really lovely moment between surgeon and patient and, you know, this book is, it's, it's gruesome. It's bloody. Um, but it I, is. I it, it, it is, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's bad. Um, yeah. but I always try to remind people that a lot of the descriptions are contemporary descriptions. These are the words from the past coming through in this mm -hmm. book. These aren't my words necessarily. People were really horrified about going to yeah. the surgeon and rightly so right. when they're ripping doors off closets and like yeah. dragging you back and, mm -hmm. and the surgeons themselves, um, is, is sort of, I think everything becomes sort of funny after enough time passes you know we can laugh about robert liston charging after his patient but the surgeons themselves they lived and died with these people as well i mean imagine going in 
And day in, day out, your patient's dying. You're exposing yourself to risk before antibiotics, mm -hmm. vaccinations. Before washing your hands. Before washing your hands. Mm -hmm. I mean, doctors died exposing themselves to these sick people and they didn't make a lot of money. Um, and so I, I hope that people remember that too, is kind of outrageous this period is. You know, you can, you can see why Lister was such a solemn and serious character and you can see how it ages him. Like he really takes the weight of the world onto him because he's trying to save these people. What also resonated with me um, was the domestic violence case, Sullivan. Yes, yes. And how, I mean, he... Women were, it was, it was a cheap time, you know. You could you could be beaten to death, and there were no legal repercussions for that. You were just property. Um, but yes, the story you refer to is a woman named Julia Sullivan, and it's one of Lister's very first cases where he um, where he was alone. He's alone, yeah. And I loved it because he's alone in the hospital just by chance. It's it's at night, and um, and she's rushed in. She's been stabbed by her husband, and her her guts are sort of uh, spilling out. And he's able miraculously to save her life. Um, but it's, there's, and wasn't this the first like abdominal surgery? It wasn't the first, but it was the first time that it, it, I shouldn't say it wasn't the first, there was no first in general, but what was different was that he stitched sutured. the gut itself. He sutured the gut itself, which was risky because of infection. And so this is before he comes up with antisepsis too. So even more dangerous. And he tucks this the intestines back in, um, and it, it, no surgeon would have really done that because, it was it was just too risky at that time. Usually, I think what they did was they they kept the wound open and it would slowly close up. But that too, like exposing it to the air, as we know, would into longer longer exposure. Yeah. So he he saves her life, and then he has to testify in court as well because surgeons were the first um, people in the medical profession to actually testify in criminal cases. And um, and the guy and I always say I say in the book too. He actually ended up saving two people's lives because he saved. her. Julia's life, the husband gets deported. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sure that wasn't a pleasant experience for him. Like, like, you know, these, these deportation ships and the, you know, um, this ban essentially being banished to the penal colonies, but, um, he would have certainly been executed, um, if she had died. So. Mm, and, and, you know, at that time too, thinking about, you know, the Victorian marriage, um, as it were, but, um, how women were sometimes sold Oh yeah. Their... Yeah. The divorces, you could divorce your wife, essentially. It's, it's so in order to divorce your wife, if you were a man, it was a lot easier. You only had to come up with like one reason where she would have to come up for, with several and being beaten certainly wasn't an excuse to leave your marriage. So Julia finds herself in an abusive relationship and just decides to leave. That's what prompts this attack. Um, but yeah, there were wife sales going on. Thank goodness I didn't live back then, right? Yeah. Like who knows? I could Any have ended us. up on sale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it was just it was just such an awful time. And again, not so long ago in the past that women were treated like this. So and we haven't come far enough. <laughs> no, we have not come far enough. That is true. I don't want to. I don't want the message to be like, "Thank goodness we live today," because yeah. there's a lot of work we still have yeah. to do. We keep going um, backward, two steps back, one step forward. I know, I know. But it's. I feel like women are becoming more empowered to tell their stories and mm -hmm. to come out and, um, and with me too. I don't like to focus too much on on the circumstances um, with which the the book was born, but it was integral to why this happened. And if 
if it can inspire some women to get out of a situation or to think that, you know, if, if there's women out there right now going through a horrific divorce and they think my life is over, it's not over. You never know what's going to happen. It could be like the reborn, the, you know, your identity is reborn. Um, this, or, this has to end for you. This to has be, to end. Yeah. yeah. And you sometimes you got to burn it down and then you got to rebuild. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, this has been my love note to myself to prove that I could write. And it's been great. Like and so many people. You. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, so back to Lister and your, you know, your, your book. Um, so he, and he comes up with an anesthetic. He does. He yes. Oh, he comes up with a, an antiseptic. Invents, yep. invents it. Yes. Right? So he, he basically, he takes germ theory. He reads Louis Pasteur's work mm -hmm. and, um, it resonates with him. He thinks because, um, compound fractures tend to get infected um, and so compound fracture, like the skin's broken. So he, he thinks, well, maybe it's germs that's getting into it because if you break your leg or your arm and it doesn't break the skin, it doesn't usually get infected. So he's thinking this might make sense, Sounds something sincere. coming from the outside. Yeah. Um, and so he knows that there's a couple ways to destroy germs according to pasture. Like one of them is with fire. You certainly don't want to be doing that one. Mm -hmm. Um, and another is, uh, antiseptics. And so he starts looking at different antiseptics and he comes up with carbolic acid. Um, and it works. It's very corrosive. It, later in his life, he used to hold his hands in his pockets because his hands were so eaten up um, from this carbolic acid. I like him so much. I know. He's such really? a great, he's such a, he's just a quiet, he didn't want to be famous, um, but he does live into his own fame. He's one of those figures who burns bright in his own life, but then is relatively forgotten. I mean, he was going to be a minister. He know, was. Even. Yeah. And I his, just love him. And his father, you know, pushed him back into medicine. And it, it's, it's like... And he we're just all is, lucky he did. Yeah, yeah, he's just kind of thrust into, you know, the the mental breakdown, the fact that um he was a Quaker, so he couldn't fight in the Crimean War. A lot of his colleagues died in that. Mm -hmm. So there were so many things that just sort of happened to to make it possible. Um, but he does live into his own fame and uh he comes to Philadelphia in 1876 and he gives a a series of lectures. He's invited by American surgeons who hate him who want to embarrass him. Mm -hmm. And he comes here and he does these lectures. And there's a man in the audience who was inspired to make Listerine, which is why people are familiar with his name. He didn't like that it existed. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't a mouthwash. It was used to treat gonorrhea. <laughs> so I would not suggest That's you use tip, Listerine tip for that. Audience. I know like Listerine <laughs> probably isn't happy about like me going that. around the country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get gonorrhea, put some Listerine yeah. on it. Um, I feel like Listerine should do, should do that. Like yeah, I know, right? All the different um, ways. So, so there's that. There's another man named Robert Wood Johnson. He's too. He too is inspired. He creates Johnson and Johnson, the first company. Um, wow. and, the, and the first thing that they produce is surgical antiseptic dressings, and they teach mm -hmm. people how to operate on their own dining table. Um, it's all perfectly safe as long as you use Johnson and Johnson's surgical bandages. Um, and and Lister, I think these things annoyed him. There was a, my favorite one was um, a sort of Mary Kay Avon lady like kit that you would buy. And then you could go around to your neighbors and remove their hemorrhoids with like by like shooting carbolic acid up their butts. Sweet. Like this would be so dangerous and painful. <laughs> That's more recreation. <laughs> yeah, that was that was just for the fun of it. Yeah, that was just for the fun. I mean, yeah. it, so there, there was just like this carbolic acid mania, and I, I imagine like Lister was was a little annoyed because he was just 
you know, he was doing it to save lives. And then you get the carbolic acid hemorrhoid kid, mm-hmm. you know, coming around. It'd be funny if like someone had knocked on his door one day and said, you know, Mr. Lister, can I <laughs> remove your hemorrhoids with this? Please. Yeah. Um, so this, it, so he, he did operate on the queen. Was this all before he came to the America? Um, Yes. Okay. Yes, chronologically. So, um, it's, I I tell people that he... And his sister. And his sister, yeah, absolutely. I tell people that he saved the life of his sister as well as a queen and everybody in between. his sister? He... She had breast cancer. Yeah. Um, and this is right at the beginning of him developing his antisepsis. And, um... He, she, she's in London, he's in Scotland, um, and she actually approaches other surgeons and they say, no, you just live your life out because again, an open wound, it could kill her faster. Um, so she travels up to Glasgow where he is at the time and he does this operation on his own dining table. Um, and it just, which they, they did surgeries at home because hospitals were, they did. there were more germs and right? his house and, still exists. And it, now it's like a series of apartments. And I just want to knock on the door and be like, Hey, you know what yeah. happened? You know, <laughs> I'd be that person. You never hear people will be like, get out of here. <laughs> I mean, in America, that'd be shocking. I feel like in, like Britain's so like layer upon layer of yeah. dead bodies and stuff that people are like whatever we don't care um but they're piled up over there they're piled up we're sitting on a plague pit as well so um but it's but yeah he does it on this dining room table and it it, it takes it out of him I mean can you imagine doing that um, his sister his sister right yeah but this is um this is after anesthetic yeah, so she so she, she has oh, ether she at this point yeah, yeah oh, she's good. she's Thank not you. yeah but he cleans the wound and, um before he cleans it there before and after and um she doesn't develop any post-operative infection she goes on to live i think she lives another five or six years it's clear the problem with breast cancer is that you know if you think about it like by the time you could feel it it's and and her lump was big yeah exactly turning her away because she it was it was beyond it was beyond yeah and and at that point like it probably and it it, it in fact had spread throughout Mm -hmm. her body but she does she does he buys her you know some time yeah um, and then Queen Victoria, many years later, so now at this point, Lister has developed his antisepsis. He's getting a lot of pushback, but he's developed his system, and she gets a abscess in her armpit. And um, the, in these things, like when they're in like moist, dark, moist, mm-hmm. dark areas, like just to make this even <laughs> creepier. But like, <laughs> I I'm like one of those weird people. I get like, cell, do you know what cellulitis is? Yeah. I get like cellulitis infections. Excuse me. I Three weeks ago, yeah, it was at NYU. Yeah. Was it? What yeah. did now? Did antibiotics take care of it? No, did, they had to cut me open. Me too. In NYU emergency oh, room, and then gross. the antibiotics. Yeah, and then the yeah, and it's and it's the worst. I've had this like five times. I'm like a house wow, mystery. Really? Yeah, they don't. They're like, why is your body not? And usually for me, once it happens, like that's it. Like they're gonna have to surgically drain it. They don't know why. Ugh. So I've had it. Like it's the worst, as it you is, know, because they have to pack. Oh. Did they have to pack yours? Well, I went to urgent care. I didn't know what was going on. Right. And, and, so they didn't pack yours. They didn't pack mine. Yeah. No, they, they just they, opened it. Yeah. Okay. Mine have always had to stay open. So they, it heals by second intention. So it has to heal from the inside That's out. My C-section scar. I had to be, <sighs> I had to have an open wound. Oh, it's just the vacuum. worst. Yeah. Oh, she had to just, wear a vacuum oh. for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So and it's horrible. Really yeah, sexy. and you got to clean it out. And it's yeah, it's, twice it's, a day it's dangerous. And then pull it out. Oh, the pulling. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's out like, of the womb. Oh. And, then and yours would have been huge. Out. I know. Yeah, you're like, I am... Why am I subjecting myself to this? Yeah, (laughs) I know. I know. I can't even have like a teeth cleaning without you know like the the stuff they put on your gums to make it. 
Yeah, I love the numbing gel. My my cousin's a dentist, and I'm like, give me the gas, and they're like, we don't do that anymore. It's like, damn it, like bring the gas back. There are are some people who do. I think it's for mostly for like children, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, give it to me. Um, I don't know why they don't. Like it would make so much. It would just be so much more fun if they brought that in. Um, But yeah, the uh, the wound has to to stay open, um, and so. Yeah, but you you got lucky. You didn't have to. I mean, it could be really dangerous. It just though. got red, and the, I went to urgent care, and the guy was like, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you to a surgeon. I'm gonna give you this an, uh, and antibiotic." Like, and yeah. he's like, "You know what? You can't wait for the surgeon. You go go to the emergency room because it was literally yeah." And did they? I did you like, go? Did you go under? Room? No, no, no. They just cut they it there. Me, yeah, they shot me up with lidocaine. Okay. Yeah. So mine, um, there were, I've, I've had so many, like one time the surgeon, the first time, and it was like in like my groin, whatever my yeah. like, right. Okay. So that's where they tend to happen everybody. Yeah. So watch that space. Um, and <laughs> like the surgeon comes and it's so bad. Like you could die if it go, if it goes on, it was really infected at this point. And he said, well, have you eaten? And I was like, yeah, of course. Like I, I'm always eating. And, um, and then he said, well, we'll have to wait till tomorrow or I can just numb it and we can just do it now. Now this just hurts even just in general, oh, yeah. but he presented it in such like a, we can or just we do could it just, now. Yeah. This is like the lesson, never trust a surgeon when it yes. comes to pain. So I was like, yeah. let's do it now. And so he comes over and he starts numbing this and that was excruciating. And then the nurses come to hold me down and I was like, wait, yeah. so I know, right? So he pulls out the scalpel and I go, wait, am I going to feel this? He's like, oh yeah, like this is, you're going to feel this. And I have information that would have been much right. better. Like when I was making this decision, for, it was the worst. It was like on the level of, you know. Yeah, I can see why you wrote this book. I know. It's, 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 <laughs> it I'm just like, sense. I'm working through my demons right yes. now. Um, so yeah. The history of cellulitis. So cellulitis yeah. and people don't really take it seriously. I mean, like you probably yeah. didn't know what it was. Now it I'm was so. It was like a big deal. I'm going to go. Yeah. You know, it, you know, it was just so. And then it became it, hot and flaming yeah. and you're like, oh my God, something <laughs> Bright red, something very wrong. Something is I've really had bad. I've had it before yeah. once. But your body's fighter yeah. bite. Yeah. A lot of people No, I get had that. to drive myself to the ER because a, a red line We're was like, like forming same. on my leg. Oh, that's really like, bad. Dying. Yeah. That yeah. is really bad. You could literally lose your leg yeah. if it gets two points. So this is like yeah. a, a health announcement yeah, to people yeah. who are listening um because one of my friends in LA uh, just a couple weeks ago she also got like it was it was spreading and I said I'm gonna draw a line around it that's what they yeah, do the the yeah yeah and she's like it's not a big deal it's just a spider bite and then it yeah. was spreading and I was like get yourself to a, a big deal yeah, yeah and the doctor was like yep antibiotics cellulitis and she's yeah. like oh my god I almost yeah. died yeah. probably not but you know it's just it's something you have to be aware of and I do remind people that all of the things in the butchering art are things that we still get today, but because we understand germs, we're able to prevent them better. We're able to control them. But, you know, gangrene, um, it's still, ha- I mean, necrotizing fasciitis, that's like when, you know, the flesh eating disease that and it happens. It's the worst. I know. Mm-hmm. And and it happens a lot. Like with people who have, um, it's like, like Victorian times all over. And, I, that, and that, that, the, the thing that gets me is the, um, the parasite up the nose and lakes. Oh yeah. Brain. No, the that like, eating. are you planning to go to the Amazon yeah. soon? And like, you're what's like, what's happening here now? It it's is happening in the, the, yeah. In the States and like 
Oh my god! And like yeah. the Zika virus, like a there's so many died random from swimming in a lake, oh, a warm lake. Oh, no. that's horrible. Yeah. yeah, I read this book about the Amazon. I can't remember what it was, and I was like, why would anybody? Why would anybody risk it? Like everything eats you there, or yeah. or plants something but in you that kills you. Food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you are walking in like a, a McDonald's hamburger yeah. into the Amazon, um, but people still do it, and it's it's incredibly dangerous. They haven't discovered. Um, I mean, so mo- so many parts are not. Um, uh, haven't been explored and there's tribes that you know are very dangerous if you just sort of came across them and people still get killed or kidnapped oh god how did we get on this um <laughs> oh yeah necrotizing fasciitis it always comes back don't google it um everybody out there it's, it's horrible yeah <laughs> and you regretted it instantly um and that is uh but, but it's not a term used in the 19th century, but a lot of the things I'm describing are probably necrotizing fasciitis. They call gangrene, um, which there's various, I mean, it, it, things are septic or gangrene, and there's different um, stages of that. As medical historians, we don't like to retrospective diagnose people. We like the the contemporaries to explain it in their own terms. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, interesting. And, and a lot of it has to do with, think about medicine today. It's always changing. So it's not like if I said, well, that person, or Abraham Lincoln's a good example, um, because a lot of people think he had Marfan's, um, this very strange genetic condition. And he may very well, ha- you know, if he lived today. But the problem is that when you say Abraham Lincoln had Marfans, you're basically implying that what we know today is the hard truth. And science in medicine is always shifting. So what we know today might be different from, you know, 50 years. Mm-hmm. So you can really only know the experience, like what were his symptoms in the time? How did people contextualize it as much more interesting to medical historians? How did they explain, for instance, the plague? Um, but it's fascinating. I mean, you always get these TV shows, like, what did you die from, really? And, yeah. um, and, and, and there's, a, there's a fascination, I think, with that. But it is definitely kind of like, I think it's kind of a sketchy area when you're, when you're diagnosing people in the past, you don't have access to the bodies. Um, one of my friends is a bioarchaeologist in London. And, she, and again, fascinating. She looks at these skeletons and she can say, like, today we would have said that this person died of X, Y, Z. Um, but it's just, it's, uh, it doesn't really change their, it certainly doesn't change their experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the book, I use the terms that are contemporary to Lister in his time. But that said, um, like the story of the semen's penis falling off, if you've gotten to that, like that was definitely probably like necrotizing fasciitis. That poor guy, um, this, this guy, um, this sailor, he's on a ship and uh, his, he, he gets some kind of bacterial infection and his penis literally falls off. And um, a- after it all just kind of erodes, the surgeon says in the record, as if he needs to, he says, the patient died. And it's like, thank God, thank God that guy, someone should have killed him. Like that is awful. Um, by the time he gets to that point, but it just shows like these things just spread, like they didn't know how to control it. And, um, you know, and a lot of times if you got it in your leg or your arm, they just amputate it. But of course the instruments weren't clean. So you could get, you know, other kinds of issues related to that. It was just a horrible time. Nobody, nobody should want to have lived in that period. Yeah. Uh, So what about the, um, 
what was is it called the clock saw oh the clockwork saw another failure i love failure (laughs) i just i need to write a book about just failures um because they're so interesting and and you think about everything that succeeds there's got to be like you know thousands of things that failed the clockwork saw was invented in the 19th century by a guy named whb winchester and it was designed to sort of like wind up and then you would let it go and it would spin automatically, almost like a like an automatic saw. And he thought this would be fast, um, but it was so unwieldy and he, he couldn't control it. And he ended up taking his assistant's fingers off and it never made it out of prototype. There's only one in and existence. The testicle, right? And the testicle, yeah. <laughs> Testicles were flying. Like nothing good was happening. Like accidental testicle well, removal. I mean, yeah, I know. Be good depending on how yeah, you Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it was it was a fail, and and there's and it never made out a prototype. There is only one in existence. It's at the Hunterian uh, collection in London, and um, it's the first episode I ever did um, for Under the Knife. And so my friend Alex, who also shot my um, brilliant trailer, he recreated this saw like he built this thing and um and this is youtube why were we doing so much work like what are we no, and i yeah. said to him i was like you know yeah. i'm like this is it's fulfilling let's just yeah it is yeah. it is and i said well, let's do something simple and then it just became this you know we had a, we have a magical bucket <laughs> we have a puppet craft it's, services oh there's just so much <laughs> like the puppet was really controversial when i i have like a full-size devil puppet that appears and um the first time he appeared you know people were like how dare you bring in a puppet um and uh so alex was so upset he loves um uh the muppets and he was just like his dream to bring in this muppet and he was like i think we should just start the next episode with like a dark screen that says we've taken your comments into consideration here at under the knife about the Muppet and then cut to the opening scene and it's just a room full of Muppets like humming <laughs> the theme song and I was like where are we gonna get a room full of Muppets we're still working on that one but he's like yeah. we have to make this happen but this is what happens when creative people who have literally yeah. no one no, no breaks on yeah. us like someone should put breaks on us yeah. but um that might come someday they're like you can't do that anymore yeah. um but what a joy to just work with someone who's like so creative and just yeah. loves to kind of do this this kind of thing visually I know that you you direct and mm-hmm. you love working in the visual but it's so it's like i wish that we didn't have so many guidelines and stuff and just yeah take the camera and just go out there and um but yeah I, my, the biggest compliment when people come to youtube is they say someone said why the hell are the production values on this random video so high and i was like <laughs> yes <laughs> you know like, we ask ourselves that yeah. every day like why are we doing this yeah. like random <laughs> For the five people who watch it, you know, yeah. um, but it's just too fun not to do it that way. It takes us ages. We have a magical bucket. Things pop out of it. Um, that too is like we have to get someone yeah. really tiny to get under the desk and put the stuff through, and we take it very seriously. This what kind year of ridiculous. Did you start under the knife? I started. That's a good question. I started 2014, mm-hmm. and then my divorce happened in 2015, and I stopped um, mm-hmm. because. I, I raise money through something called patron. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, but it was, yeah, it's a violation oh. of my visa because, because I was illegally in the country, I couldn't make any money. Oh, okay. And also like I was vomiting and crying from fear. And so it wasn't, it wasn't going to work. In fact, um, when Caitlin came to visit me during that time, we did a video and it never made it out. Cause I, I didn't have the energy to do it, but, um, she 
is wearing a blonde wig and she is me behind the desk. And at the end I am her. And I just feel like someday we need to do something with that footage. Um, people must see her in that blonde wig. Um, but, uh, I, so I stopped for a while and then I rebooted it. I guess I rebooted it about a year ago mm -hmm. and, um, we've done stuff on the barber's pole and medieval urine wheels, the reusable condom, the reusable yeah, condom. Yeah, everyone out there, check out this, check yeah. out her web series. Under, Under the, the knife. knife. Yeah. Reusable yeah. condom. Alex made me wear an inflatable condom outfit. He's always like, it's not about you, Lindsay. Don't be so <laughs> precious. Just put this thing on. Oh my God. You're I, a prima donna. I know. I was like, up like a I know, I know exactly. And so, <laughs> And it, and it was like it's inflatable and I had to like oh get into this costume and sit behind the desk and and so um I gave a, a talk at the Smithsonian on Halloween recently and, and you wore it I well yeah C-SPAN was coming to film and I was like damn it now I can't wear my inflatable condom outfit at the Smithsonian they would have loved that surely um but what is it could stupid, be your Christmas card yeah I mean yeah. it's just it's just the stupidest thing and it was really like I I have a lot of hair and he was just like pulling my hair into this condom thing and it's so it's just like a face sticking out of it it's like the worst it's oh, not flattering at all really? like nothing is so but he's always like it's about your fans and you know and i was oh like they God. are so lucky like i get in these stupid outfits i interact with a muppet like everything about it and then the last episode we did because we haven't had time to do too much we had a phrenology head and he made it look like it was talking. So we get in an argument with this, this phrenology head. Um, so yeah, again, the things we do for no money, <laughs> like for literally, we have like five people who give us like a fiver every time we come out with a video and it's like, we're like, yes, we made $25. Um, <laughs> let's keep going. Um, yeah. So this is, you know, you know, you're passionate people when I know, like, you know, you're passionate when you're literally, cause like by the time he like gets down to me and pays for fuel and stuff it's just it's the stupidest thing ever but we love it so yeah well, it shows uh, yeah it really does that's show that's how I roll too it's not in good. the book and I know I know I know <laughs> so we ask um all of our guests who their strange woman throwback is what is that which is a woman who inspired you inspired to be who you are yeah who a it doesn't even woman. have to be it doesn't have to be in your vein, in your line of work or what you're doing, but somebody who There's kind so of... so many strange women in my life. Yeah. Well, which <laughs> one would you pick in terms of someone you look to? I think my grandma. Yeah. You know, I dedicated this book to her, too, by the way. Um, and she is out there. She's like my biggest PR campaigner. I don't know if she's read it and knows how gross it is, but she's like, <laughs> my name is in it. And her name's Dorothy Scissors. Um, oh, and, yeah, scissors. yeah, scissors. Excellent. And it's S-I-S-S-O-R-S. -S -S. Her husband, um, my, my grandfather was, I think he was like, his parents were Russian. And when they came here, his father was a tailor. Mm -hmm. And so, and it was like a really long Russian name. And so uh, they changed it to scissors Wow. because they were like, that will be easier for people. So, um, and he ended up being the longest tenured professor at Northwestern. And so he also influenced me hugely um, just because I was like the only 10, 10 year old with like a college presentation. He was into advertising. And um, so, they, they, I mean, he's, he's gone now, but they have both been hugely influential. And my grandma certainly is a strange woman. She wouldn't like that, but that's okay. She doesn't it's know how to, thing. she doesn't know how to get onto a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she's always like, it's I should get an here. iPhone. Yeah. yeah no, it's a grandma, good thing. No, she should be on Facebook. I know she yeah. thinks that she can work all this stuff, but, um, <laughs> 
but yeah, no, she's, but, but there's so many people, as I said, Caitlin Doty has been a huge influence to me. Um, and just, uh, it's great that there's so many women now working in these areas and, um, reclaiming areas, quite frankly, that always were female territories, like dealing with the dead bodies. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so I like that people, people do ask in my book tour, like, are you, you know, you're, you must not be squeamish or, but why does having a vagina mean that I'm any more prepared, you know, or less prepared to deal with these subjects? It's strange. It's a strange thing that keeps coming up. Um, and I don't mind the question, Mm -hmm. but people should think about that. Like, why would my anatomy fundamentally Mm -hmm. make me less prepared to, to engage in these subjects? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the book is incredible. It's Thank very, you. very gory. These two and, and vaginas love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we really do. I was just thinking, it. I was like, I just said vagina in your podcast. I guess that's fine. Like, yeah, I never know. Yeah, women have them. Yeah, we have yeah. them, so. It's <laughs> Spoiler all. alert. It's <laughs> so thank you for joining oh, us. Oh, thank you so thank much. You. Good luck with everything. Thank you.